Before we hop into today's episode of the podcast, I want to tell you guys about someone I've been partnering with over the past few months. The name of the company is 2 Before, and if you guys are looking to take your training to the next level, 2 Before is the right product for you. 2 Before is blackcurrant powder, and blackcurrants are antioxidant berries grown in New Zealand. Studies have shown that consuming them regularly improves endurance by increasing blood flow and removing lactic acid. It's used by professional running team 10 Man Elite, as well as teams in the NFL, NBA, and the NCAA. There was one study that showed that using two before consistently can improve your athletic performance by 4.6%. And so as I look to close out this fall on a high note with my training, as well as get in some really quality training this winter, two before is going to become a staple pre-run, pre-workout. I absolutely love this stuff. I've worked with two before for a long time. For this reason, it's become a staple in my daily training and life routine. Because of that, you guys can get 30% off at two before with code the running effect 30. Not only does this get you guys 30% off, but also free shipping. And I've left a link in the show notes. Again, highly recommend this product. And I definitely recommend at least trying it out once and seeing if it works for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast. Today's episode is one for the books. I have the great privilege of welcoming back onto the podcast Olympian Andrew Weeding. I had on Andrew in May, and that episode was an all-timer, a fan favorite. In fact, if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend going back and hearing that one. That one was a lot more diving into Andy's story, his upbringing, and so many different things. And uh, I made a few clips from that episode, put them up on social media and one of them in particular has like over 5 million views to date I'm pretty sure so uh, it was an all-timer and so I knew I had to get Andrew back on so many people love that episode and so I got the man back on we had a great discussion surrounding how he's giving back to the sport through his current role as the operations and content manager at the on athletics club we also talk about different things within the on company how he's trying to give back to the sport in that way and then we of course reference some of his years in the sport and more lessons and more conversation surrounding that. I think perhaps the most impactful moment for me was when Andy was talking about mental health, his struggles with that during his career, and kind of his thoughts on it overall and how to deal with it. I think there was tons of wisdom in what Andy was saying, and I'm confident you're going to walk away uh, more empowered to tackle that subject. It's something that every single human faces, and so I really appreciated Andy getting deep and vulnerable on that subject. And then, of course, we top it off with a, a wholesome question, such as, when can you start listening to Christmas music. So stick around to the end to uh, hear when you can start listening to Christmas music, at least in the eyes of Andy Weeding. We also discuss a funny story from back in the day when uh, he ran an eggnog mile with a bunch of high schoolers. So anyways, enough of my rambling. This episode is one for the books, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Andy Weeding. Mr. Andrew Weeding, welcome back to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? Mister, I didn't know we were so formal in this podcast. I thought we were close, Dominic. What's going on here? <laughs> Nothing much, man. Uh, I gotta, I gotta humble you real quickly because last podcast you said no one would buy your book. Podcast went berserk. I think it's one of the top five most listened to episodes in the three hundred episode history of the show. And then that one clip that every runner seems to know of the, you know. Uh, you know, middle school coach comes over to you uh, about the mile JV. You're on five flat. People know the rest of the story. Over four million views on Instagram. How do you feel about this, man? Internet sensation, Andy Weeding. 
Well, when, when do the royalty checks start coming up? <laughs> I've been checking the mailbox. Uh, nothing's coming in yet, you know. So, but that's really that's really cool. I'm very flattered. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I mean, it's a it's a unique little part of my story and my career. And like, uh, if it can inspire someone, great. And if it's worth listening to, it's even cooler. So, I, yeah, I've, I'm very flattered. I gotta ask you this, uh, both from my curiosity perspective, but also from the perspective of uh, trying to make another four million view viral reel. Are there any other stories like that that you want to share that are just funny tidbits of um, maybe something along the lines of uh, the the five minute mile lapping a bunch of people Olympic material stuff? Uh, I mean, there's I don't know. I've always found that the, the I, I like the stories that athletes tell where you you get a kind of a human element to it. Um, and one of the ones that I really loved was I was running past South Eugene High School in Eugene. And there's this huge crowd of kids there. Um, and I popped in just to kind of see what was going on. And it was like around like around the holidays, like the December time. And uh, I saw all the red solo cups getting put up. And I was like, oh, this is this has got to be some some. I, my first thought was beer mile. And I was like, I got to get out of here immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I realized they're doing an eggnog mile. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's, uh, that seems like fun. And then when kids recognized me and they, Hey, you need to run this with us. It's like, no, 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 I, you, I, you guys do your thing. Uh, and but took a few co- people convinced that I was all right, I'll hop in and do it. So I hopped on the line, I took off and, you know, three or four kids took out, like just bat out of hell. It's like, Hey, this is great. It's fine. I kind of went out at kind of a, a tempo pace. I think I ran like a 75 or a 72 or something like that in the first lap. And, and I'll be honest, it's it's not the running that that kind of got it because everybody kind of had the pace figured out. It was the drinking piece. And with four years of college under my belt and some years post, I think I had a little bit more experience over the average high school kid. So I was just like <laughs> grabbing the eggnog, throwing it down. I'd take off, run like another 72 or so. It's pretty comfortable. And then get it, pound another eggnog, run another 72. And then I, I suddenly realized I was starting to pull away. It was getting pretty comfortable. I was like, oh. These kids, I can't do it. So I just pulled off to the side and I like clapped in the guy who actually should have won. And I, but it was like a really fun moment to kind of integrate with the community and the high school kids. And yeah, I mean, that, needless to say, though, later I had like a golf ball knot just working its way through my stomach. But it was uh, it was a fun little, it was well worth it. Besides the athletes of on OAC, from an operational perspective, people who work for the company, if they were to all go on the track to an eggnog mile in the next month, who do you think would win? And where would you line up in that group? Oh man. Um, I, uh, it's, I would catch him on the drinking element of it. Cause I can just pound that eggnog pretty easily, but it's the, it's the, the running piece. I think that I've kind of lost a bit of <laughs> the, the, the edge on. So I'd, I'd say, I'd be, I mean, there's some pretty talented runners within the brand um, and, and outside of the athletes and everything. I, I'd say if I probably, I could say maybe top 10, I could probably comfortably say, but it would be it wouldn't be an easy run. Speaking of the brand, you just came off of the New York City Marathon and uh, in trying to schedule this conversation again, I've wanted to have you back on for quite some time now just because of how enjoyable the first conversation was. You're everywhere 24/7. How do you do it and uh when do you get to take a breath? Oh, man. it's uh <laughs> Hey man, it's it's funny because it's uh, I've kind of thought about how do I approach all this travel. I think the job description was like fifty percent travel, and, I was, and I'm starting to feel like it's probably more than that. But uh, I'm like, okay, I'm getting the mileage points, I'm getting the hotel points. <laughs> so I'm like, it's it's all kind of accumulating. So I, I make it I make it worth it on top of like the experiences of being in the city, the running effect, the running itself, oh, the running effects. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll take the free so plugs. Not. 
Yeah, yeah, there you go. No, man, it's a, I, honestly, I, I can do it because I've got an incredible wife. I think she she handles everything at home. She's got this house running my tip top, and so I, I I don't have to worry. And she kind of takes care of everything. And I think every guy who does all the traveling for and for the work. And I think there was a nice piece that came out by Same Prickle today about you know the the significant others of all of the the athletes out there. It makes it makes a huge difference having the person in your corner understand uh, the lifestyle you need to live to be good at what you do. So. Uh, I, I owe a lot of it and pretty much all of it to, to my wife and the support I get from her. As you probably remember from our first episode, we naturally get into some deep subjects. So I'll ask you this question because it actually came up uh, in my last podcast with this guy. Um, and the question was essentially something I've heard nowhere near the age to get married or seriously consider it. But uh, the, the thing I've, the sentiment I've heard and everyone seems to agree with it is the most important decision you'll ever make is the person who you're going to marry. So for you, how have you kind of grappled with that question? And what are some ways that you found that lifelong partner? Ooh, good question. Very deep. And I mean, from a man who's not married, it's, uh, it's, it's very well and good wisdom behind that. So no, I think, I think you, you date and experience life and kind of try for lack of better, better words, you try different flavors and kind of see how things match and connect. And I think everybody has their own agenda until you meet somebody and then you kind of have together agendas with your own agendas. And it's a matter of compromise and can you ebb and flow with the needs of another. And some people are really good at it and work with the others. But I think at the end of the day, you got to have patience to work with the person you want to be with. And uh, I was very fortunate. I mean, I, you know, it's not always smooth. Uh, I, I, I found the woman I, I love and married and, uh, but there were times where you know, there were arguments and fights and struggles and, but it's, uh, it's knowing when the juice is worth the squeeze, so to speak. And uh, she, she and you had a very unique way of how to connect with me um, and how to talk to me and work with kind of my short fuses and kind of how to break down the communication patterns and whatnot. And I think that's, that's the biggest part of it is it can, do you feel comfortable enough to be completely vulnerable and communicate at your root, like deepest roots? Um, and Annie for, for me was that. And I think she came into my life. Probably we, we, we like to tell a story. It was like just a un unique time where she was kind of coming out of the, a bit of the ugly phases of her life. And I was kind of coming out of the ugly, some of the ugly phases of mine. And it just serendipitously we met. Um, funny enough, she was in South Carolina. I was in Oregon. We were just separate parts of the country and it just, we gave it a whirl and here we are, but uh, yeah, find the person you can connect with and that uh, you can be completely vulnerable with. As you mentioned and kind of took us through a minute ago and we'll get deeper into, you're constantly traveling for work, going to these different events and whatnot. How do you, when you're at home and probably have a work trip always on the horizon, how do you flip the switch off with Annie? Oh man, that's a, that's a practice. Uh, Cause I, I don't know. I'm a guy who like, if I see a, a little more, like a little inch, a little centimeter, a little more that I could do to further progress my career, like I want to take it. No, I want to send that one more email. I want to put that deck together. I want to do whatever it is. I just a little bit more for my career. And, but I, I can't, I came to realize, and I, I love on, I love the brand, but uh, I, I kind of, it took being told like, look, the company is not going to go under if you don't send that last email, <laughs> if you don't finish that presentation. Like, you got to recognize the important pieces and your family and the people you care about. Those are the important pieces. And so when you walk through the door, I put my phone on the side. It's off. We leave it as can be. And like it's, it's hard sometimes because I just want to 
oh, someone messaged me. I didn't check on it. But the weekend comes Friday, five o'clock, and I'm done. Like that's it. You can't get a hold of me. So unless unless there's like a race going on that weekend and athletes are competing, like I, I'm off. I'm off grid. So yeah, when I take time off, when I go off, when it's the weekend, it's just knowing that the company is not going to go under if I'm not available. So it takes a lot for the company to go under, and uh, you know me being unavailable is not. <laughs> May seventeenth was when we last spoke. As you sit with me here today on November 9th, what are the biggest ways you've grown over these past few months? From May to November? Uh, well, uh, I'm due to be a father in April. So uh, that was a, a nice, loving and welcoming surprise. Um, we, I think from, yeah, I'd say about, well, I guess around, uh, I, I have to do the math on it, but it was it like July, August, August or so, June, July. well, yeah, anyway, so, but I'll be open and honest, like we, we went through a miscarriage to get here. And that, that was probably the hardest time in my life is just like one of them is to see my wife going through the hardship of that. And um, I think it's a, it's, 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 op it's not openly talked about, but it's a pretty common thing to have happen in this process. Um, and so we weren't aware of that and we went through it. It was really hard, but um, we came out the other side and we you know, got back in the saddle, as you say, and, you know, all, all good things come come to those who wait and came to it's so like now my perspective is completely shifted and i'm like okay i have to consider all right i got a kid coming uh we're gonna have college in 18 years we're gonna have uh you know i have to go through a few holes in the wall i'm sure we're gonna have to you know, you know coloring on the floor he's probably gonna do all these nasty things just knowing myself when i was a child growing up i'm like there's gonna be a lot of issues as a boy gets growing up in here and i'm gonna have to be like but I, we were all kind of secretly hoping for a girl because, like, uh, we'd be like, I'm daddy's little girl. Oh, so cool, you know? But no, now i got to be, like, the enforcer and, like, go walk in there and be like, you stupid little shit, get out of here. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. I love it. I'm curious. This is probably such the cheesy question that you've gotten asked so much recently. But what are your plans with everything you know and have gone through in your career in the sport of running? Like, force is not the right word so force for lack of a better word will, will you like put your kid in sports will it be running will you want them to be a runner how are you kind of handling those pursuits that i'm sure inevitably you've thought about or been asked about yeah no i i i've actually kind of thought about this not just as like when i'm a dad and this is what i'll do more of like kind of how i appreciated my parents handling it and it was put put they put me in everything it was basketball, baseball, soccer, running and you know, bowling, snowboarding, like all the different sports I participated in. I, and I love every single one of them just to be active and just playing around and having fun with your friends. And I think that's the best approach is just keep putting them in activities. Uh, you could even, you know, I think I was put in on like the school school play at a really young age, just to try a different Avenue. And it, you know, my voice was terrible and I was <laughs> off key and I couldn't sing for, for life, but I, mean, but I gave it a shot. So even equestrian, I, I rode horses that I didn't to this day I'm terrified of, but would not recommend. So, but yes, try, try as many different things as you can. And eventually you'll see like some things stick harder than others. And I, I love soccer. I wanted soccer more than anything. And then yeah, an opportunity presented itself. And I kind of was went down that Avenue seemed to have worked out, but the, the idea is just try new things and see how it goes. And I, I, I credit also like kind of watching others around me, like Dathan Ritzenheim's daughter is one of the best in the country right now. I think she's a sophomore in Niwot and 
uh, he's, he's very hands off. Like he's, he's the most supportive father and he just stands on the sidelines supporting all the way through from start to finish. And I ask, like, Dathan, are you, are you inputting on our training? Are you kind of at the coach's side? You're kind of whispering in his ear. What's the deal? He's like, no, I've, I've learned you step away and let them develop their own passion. And she's just so happened to fall into the sport that I was in and I uh, can only support it. It's like, that's, that's great advice. Just let them develop their own passion. We kind of tackled the personal side of the past few months. I want to tackle the professional side, which is, you know, the OAC continuing to crush it and hit it out of the park. What are your thoughts on the summer of racing? Uh, it's it's wild. This, this group's only been together really three years, and we were looking at year four this year as, or I guess 2024 as being the year where, okay, we're going to make our big on the stage presence, but in one year we had five Olympians. The next year we had, uh, it was like five, a few more went to the world stage. We had a handful of national records. And this year we had, it was like t four top five performances or top six performances and 20, like 20 national records across like six, five or six different countries. So, I mean, trying to keep, keep track of all the stats of like everything we're accomplishing. And it's, it's really, really cool. Um, and <laughs> I, I, the hardest part is just keeping our, 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 our expectations grounded from year over year. And, uh, from, from a, I mean, the corporate standpoint, like I, I see no pressure that we're putting, I don't, I don't want there to be pressure that we're putting on them. I, it just, ha they just happen to be finding this rhythm and passion and joy for what they're doing. And, and the results just happen to keep showing up, but uh, it's, it's fun seeing behind the curtain, how they're all training and working together. And, uh, it just seems like they're their kids having fun running in circles and like that's the simplest way to put it is they're just having fun running in circles and it's it, it's only in these moments where you kind of gamify simple things like we went to dave and busters for our athlete summit and we were broken into teams and we said hey all right guys whichever team collects the most tickets wins first first pick of prizes and that's when you see oh that's right they're professional athletes and they're all competitive <laughs> and they all check in and they all start going for tickets and stuff so but it was like yeah that's right they all have fun until it's like there's something to win and then it just clicks on so i given given the success this year we loved it it was incredible i we had such such fruits to talk about but i think 24 is obviously the year people are going to remember and that's the olympic year and uh there's a lot of i mean i'm not put i don't I don't think anyone in the company is putting it on them, but I know having been in their shoes that as soon as the calendar flips from 23 to 24, the Olympic rings are going to jump into their head and every run is going to have that curtain of rings just swinging around and between the ears. So I, it, the hard part is for them is just keeping expectations low, enjoying the, pro the process and continuing to do what they've been doing for the last three years. Getting an inside look at your head and your career how many of those runs were focused on a particular race or more interestingly enough, if you're willing to share a particular competitor who you were like, I know I got to do this training to beat X person. Oh man. I, uh, great question. I, uh, it's, it's funny as my career develops, like in the beginning of the year, like well, the beginning of the career, I, uh, I, I could tell you who my competitor that I eyed up from college to first few years pro to later pro who it was I was trying to keep tabs of. And like early years, it was Jacob Hernandez. He was like the 800 guy that beat me and I needed to keep an eye out for him. And then 
Then it became about uh, doing the eight and 15 and Leah Manuel's the 15 guy to look out for. Um, and then my first few years pro was Matt Centrowitz. And I mean, he was kind of in the target for my, like any miler in the US, like in the world, really. He was the, the target to look out for for, for years. Um, and then uh, and then Leo Manzano, who's always kind of like, who's always the uh, hit or miss guys. Like, is he going to show up and just blow the doors off this race? Or is he going to kind of like, use this one to see where his fitness is at and maybe he'll come back after you later. So, but those are, I don't know, those two guys are always in the back of my mind, but I think uh, the, the tricky part, and I again learned later on is that you gotta you develop the confidence in practice to go into the race, not eyeing up your competitors and instead just knowing your own fitness level and your own confidence. Uh, Cause there were, there were definitely times where my brain jumped into the race of somebody else's and you're, you're, you start that that's when doubt creeps in and you start to lose focus a bit and you're like well what are they doing what are they doing what are they doing and you're like well where's your confidence why don't you make them be worried about you instead and so and watching kind of dathan and the team he's very good at kind of creating that self-confidence within all of the athletes and something i really started to notice and figure out about myself later in my career is finding that self-confidence can change the entirety of a race that you run and so i yeah, I, I, I think that was most of my college careers. I had that self-confidence in some of my pro career. And then later in life, it was like, uh, I'm starting to struggle, injuries, like fitness isn't quite up to like the the medals and Olympic standards. And you just start to doubt yourself. And so just trusting your fitness and your confidence and your coach, if all things are aligned, you're going to have a great day. Going off of that some more, do you think it's healthy or destructive to have enemies in the sport? And by enemies, I don't mean like, you wish ill on them or like you want them to be injured, but very simply like, I want to beat you. I don't like you at all. And I'm going to do everything possible to outtrain you, outrun you, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I think it's healthy to a degree. Uh, you've got to have somebody looking, looking over your shoulder. And there were plenty of workouts where I sat there thinking, you know, I'll bet you Matt Centro is doing workouts right now at another level. And I need to just remember that people are always, like always excelling um to us to a healthy I don't know, it's, it's tough to a degree you don't want to you don't want to turn yourself paranoid over what other people might be doing but I think just remembering that others are trying to beat you is a good motivator to always continue to progress um and yeah there's yeah there's a fine line so you don't want to you don't want to go too crazy thinking about the other side of the fence but you also need to remember that there are people trying to get you and that to me was motivating it's like okay i know when i step to the line there are going to be people who fear me and i want them to be so i got to remember when i race i got to put the fear back at them like a form of motivation kind of you can't rely on it but you can use it yeah exactly going back a little bit to talking about kind of your role within the oac which we briefly discussed last episode but it's something i want to get into a little bit more uh, in this episode, particularly kind of opening the curtain behind that scene for you, for you, how much of your job is athlete focused versus brand focused? And what are some things you're trying to do in the day to day to push both forward, both the athlete and the brand? Yeah, great question. There's, uh, I'd say I, I, when I initially got going with the OAC, it was 70, 30 and with athlete focused stuff and kind of what can I do to help support the athlete what do they need to kind of feel motivated and empowered to to go out and step out on the crappier days or to to push that last interval a little harder and belief in themselves um and 
yeah, and as, as time has kind of evolved and my role has changed a little bit, I think it's kind of balanced a bit more the other way where I'm like, okay, I've, I've kind of done the physical work of getting things to them that they need. Um, we've hired some people on that can kind of help in, in pursuing that. And then there's now the, the content side of things, which is kind of where I spend most of my time is all right, what can we do to create more content and storytelling around what these guys are doing? Um, cause I, yeah, I, I just remember so many times when I was running, having to put my phone down and run back and forth, taking photos. And you're like, look, I was out here running and post something <laughs> and they've got stuff. And if you can re- mitigate a bit of that stress of having to be on your social channels all the time, then I think that's one less thing they have to worry about. So we've, we've hired on a content creator with Colin Wong, who just joined us or he joined us last year and he's been an infinitely huge help. And him and I kind of worked together in tandem to create fun narratives, fun storylines, and then kind of produce some things for the on channel and then for their own individual channels. And I think that's, that's a big part of it is getting athletes like having a presence on social media. And I think it's like a huge chunk of what a being a professional athlete is now outside of like your performance. So um, creating the content, the storyline, these guys and make them kind of humanize them a little bit is a big part of what I like to do now. I think a unspoken part of your job, which just comes with you being a good human being is kind of like an advisory role when it's needed, because to my knowledge, I know Steve ran and I know he still runs, but like, I mean, come on, you you were low key that guy as a professional runner. I know you wouldn't say it, you're too humble, but you were incredibly fast, did remarkable things and are probably one of the only people within the on ecosystem who experienced something that Yard Nagoose is going to go through. How much for you have you utilized your experience to advise the athlete and specifically maybe even some darker parts of your journey for someone like Ollie Hoare, who had to drop out of the world championships, crushing moments like that, stepping in when it's needed? Yeah, there's uh, I, one, uh, one thing I've kind of learned as I've sat in this position is that um, as much as I like all the athletes um, and I do, I think they're wonderful people. Um, I, I am in a career position and I have to be like, kind of, I have to have a line in the sand somewhere where it's like, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'd like to invite him out to go get beers and hang out, do things like that. But it's like, it's just not professional. And so I, when it comes to, I see struggles and hardships and things like that. And like the, the darker corners of the sport are happening and I, it's not my place to step in and offer that. Um, it, it has to be kind of on them if they want that advice or they want to hear from my perspective. And I, I, I'm happily going to give it if they want to hear it. Um, but I, more than anything, I, I'm, I'm at the hip with Dathan and we talk a lot about the different dark sides of our careers that we went through and how we handled and tackled them. And if I see something and it um, makes me nervous, I usually go to him to say, Hey, have you thought about and noticed these kind of things? And he's incredibly receptive to it. And usually he's kind of got a thumb on the pulse of it already. And so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be a resource. If, if any of the athletes want to talk about from, you know, be vulnerable and talk about that perspective, but, um, it's, yeah, it's not my place to step in and offer advice. It has to be, them wanting it um but thankfully we're building something internally like we're calling our athlete 360 program where we have want to offer up kind of the ability to to network within the company have learn how to kind of job job search and kind of the next steps of life and things like that and then kind of the the mental health side of things that um i think most athletes should should 
explore a little bit. We're just, we're trying to offer up as many resources as we can to all of our athletes that, have, that kind of tackle all the things that might come into their bubble. How much of those quote unquote products have come as a result of your experience? I remember last time we talked, you discussed how weird it felt to leave the sport at an old age, older age. Uh, I know runners are still young when they leave the sport, uh, but like, and you were like a job, like I've not, you know, running's been the only thing I've ever known. And that was like kind of a tough transition for you or uh, also mental health struggles with you in your career. How much of the products that you're now trying to deliver within the OAC came as a result of you filling gaps that you wish you had as an athlete? Um, I would say I, I helped pioneer some of it. Uh, I, I think I was one of the first couple of athletes to join the on brand that's kind of had the accolades of Olympics and elite level running. Uh, there's a lot of people that knew the industry, but not so much from the athlete perspective. And so I like to think I offered a lot of that input to, to kind of the leadership roles that's kind of the decision makers to help to change that perspective. And so I, uh, yeah, you could say I kind of helped start it, but I think it, took, uh, it takes a lot of hands to build anything like that. And so I think I may have planted the idea, put the seed into you know the ground, but uh, it took watering from many different corners. And now we have, you know, a couple of athletes who've kind of ascended to different levels of the sport and who've joined our team now who kind of have that perspective and can lend more of a of helping hand to help kind of foster that for other athletes. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm flattered to, to think you think I'm, I was part of that, but I, you know, it definitely takes a team. You're too humble. I'll just say that. I'll just say that. Um, we we briefly discussed this before we hopped on the recording, but Ollie having to drop out of the world championships and just the mental health struggles that go on behind the scenes, way bigger than Ollie um, for most athletes. Can you speak to this with your own experience struggling with stuff throughout the years? Yeah. 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 I mean, Ollie's a tough kid. Um, and I think he's, he's also very in touch with his emotions and his feelings. And so he's, he's not shy. He doesn't shy away from it, which I think is, uh, a very strong characteristic of, about him and as, as a person. Um, cause I think when I growing up and I've, I've kind of talked to Dathan a little bit about this too, like when we were going on through the, through the, the careers, it was like mental health and men's mental health in particular, wasn't a, a heavy subject. It was just kind of, you don't, you don't show, you know, you're never caught crying or you're always tough or you, you can't break down. And like, you just always had to have this kind of stoic stone hengy thing about you and the men are the gorillas were all tough, you know, but I think it's, it's pretty apparent now. And I think it's come out in, in, in a lot of different lights that, you know, men's mental health is, is an important subject, you know, especially in professional sports where the, the hardest person on an athlete is themselves. And particularly in a sport where, you're the sole person on the track or on the field of play and you don't have 10 other people you can kind of rely on to help get the goal so i that that much on one person's shoulders it can weigh on you and so i i encourage so many people men women everybody who's kind of on that like you versus yourself kind of career to just to re, to connect with like a sports psychologist uh and just kind of talk about it because I, I found it later in my career and I even had, I remember a moment, like it was before us champs I was in Eugene one year that um, one of my closest friends, she was like, Hey, I think maybe you should sit down and just talk to me. I was like, what? I, no, that's, that sounds ridiculous. I'm not doing that. And so um, looking back, I get it now. Like she was kind of, I see you're hurting and in pain and I see you're struggling. Like you need to get that off your shoulders. And I think I missed an opportunity to like, just, having the ability to run weight free. Um, cause I think 
the, the, the strongest muscle you can, you can practice is the one between the ears and how you do that is up to you. And like, you know, for some guys, it's like, maybe it's podcasting, you know, and kind of having a place to talk where, where you're safe with vulnerable people and, uh, or some, it's like a sports psychologist, or maybe it's like hobbying, or it's like your parents or some place where you can kind of go to be kind of vulnerable or away from the sport. Cause I, when you're in school, uh, the school is stress and running is the outlet. And when you get out of school, if you're on the running path, it, running can't be the stress and the outlet. You're just going to end up kind of cannibalizing yourself. So I, you got to find ways to kind of hit the press, the pressure release valve. So I, Ollie coming out and talking on his podcast about, you know, kind of the mental health side of things like that's a great, great step. And I, there's, there's men should be comfortable feeling that vulnerability. I know there were times where I like broke down at practice from the pressures and stressors of life. And, you know, if you're, if you're the professional athlete, there are going to be people out there hating and I, you're not, if you're, you're doing it right, if people are trying to beat you down, uh, but it's hard to see people say some really malicious things and it's okay to feel kind of feel something from it. You just don't let it go too deep and have a way to kind of process it and move on. And, um, and for me, I, I didn't have that. And I just kind of let it beat me down, beat me down, beat me down. And I kind of crack at practice or I kind of crack in different places. And so I, I went through therapy for about two years and uh, I was encouraged by, by my now wife saying, Hey, it seems like you got some real demons in there. You need to work through it. And we talked it out and uh, it's, you learn a lot about yourself. And I think the fastest running is done when you're not carrying weight on your shoulders as you would. So as you would imagine. So uh, whether that's physical or emotional, if you could go back in time to those times in practice or times within your life, when you just broke down from the pressure, literally, what would be some things you would tell to that version of Andy Weeding? Oh man. Or just do, maybe it's just sitting with him. I know a lot of times that's people want to fix and sometimes it's just being there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's tough. Cause I've seen, I've seen it kind of from my now as an adult and, a, and other athletes, no, not only from OAC, but just kind of, you can see their body language after a race or as they step up to the line to start a race, you're like, that person's dealing with something. Like you can tell their mind isn't all there. And so it, it's hard. Cause you just want to be like, you want to help, but it's not my place to do that. And so I, I look back and I think of 2013, I think that was my the hardest year of my career because they're coming off of 2012. I made it back to the Olympics and I brought in an injury. didn't go well. And then they all say the year after the Olympics is like this huge, like downhill in emotion. And it really is. Cause you're like, okay, I, that was the highest of highs. Like how, like what am I shooting for now? And so uh, I remember after USA's it, I finished dead last in 2013. I, I, I put it all into just to make the final um, and then the race was over. I could feel my body quitting with 300 meters to go and everybody ran by me and I stepped off the track. I just walked right through media and gave some half answered answers and just, you know, my foot hurts, uh, something, an excuse. And then just kind of walked out to go cool down. And I stopped about a half mile down the road, sat between two cars and started crying. It was, it was a really, a really vulnerable moment. And I just, I felt so at lost with my purpose and what I was supposed to be doing in this sport. And like the expectation from all corners was so high. And I felt like I was letting hundreds of people down. And I, that would be the moment where I would step in and I'd sit down next to myself and say, Hey, look, the only pressure you're putting on you is from yourself. And 
you need you need to talk to people you need to find someone to talk to about all the things that you're keeping in there and you're just not sharing it's just to try and look professional trying to look strong like looking one thing and being one thing is a complete different different role so i just that's where i would have said go talk to someone man like you're carrying a lot of weight get it out of your, get out of your system to the large listener base who listens to this, I can almost guarantee that there are people listening right now who are probably struggling with some sort of mental health struggle issue, et cetera. What would be some words of advice to that person who's probably touched by what you said and it resonates because it is so deep? What would be some words of wisdom you'd give to that person? You're not alone, man, or woman or girl, like whoever you are, you're not alone. Uh, it, from the, the the simplest of human life all the way up to the the Hollywood stars, like there, there are people that deal and struggle with day-to-day feelings and emotions and they don't know how to process it. And that could be, that could be you just sitting there with this, this gut in your stomach and just this cloud this heavy, heavy weight of sadness on your shoulders. Uh, and it's, it's, it's okay to confide in people, but I think if, if you really want to get to the root of it and you want to pull it out and kind of dissect it and understand why you feel the way you do invest in your own mental health. I, I, I know there's there's a financial piece to it and it can be daunting to think about the money you spend on that but like the longevity of this clean air this lighter weight of is well worth any sort of dollar amount you're going to make in your life like don't bring that with you your entire life invest in your mental health there are numerous studies that support this so I do feel pretty confident in stating this but just the effects that social media has had on mental health and how it's just exacerbated issues how do you feel about social media with your athletes, particularly, especially as you mentioned, it's so good to get them out there to have them post things, but also you kind of have this dark sword of, you know, people comment negative stuff. Not everyone's a fan, um, being on social media and in the comparison piece, or even from the perspective of fatherhood and your kid one day who is inevitably going to get on these apps, probably like, how are you, what are your expectations around that? Man, it's, uh, I've, it's it's a thought that's come through my head and I've had with like current fathers or fathers to be or kind of men in general, just like, how are you going to handle when your kid gets on social media? How, if you have a daughter, how are you going to handle that kind of objectification that kind of comes with being on social media? And like, uh, it's, it's, it sucks, man. Like social media is, is such a, it's such a, a great way to kind of see and stay connected with your friends and people you, you care to look for and then kind of get a little insight into kind of, the other lifestyles but like it comes with so much derogatory commentary and so much pessimism and negative and just man if you want if you want to go into uh, an absolute fire like, f- pick any political post and just go into the comments and it is just it's just a barrage of you're stupid he's stupid you're dumb they're dumb and it's like there's no respect for conversation it's just full just full on running at you with an axe and you're like oh my god (laughs) so i i there was a time where i felt those moments and it hit me at my core and i think i don't know if it's something i've I've learned to grow out of but i think there's a time where you, you just start to realize that this is the way the world is like people just if if you don't agree with me i hate you and that's that's the wrong approach i being open-minded to having a conversation even if you don't want to agree with what it is like there's nothing wrong with listening to words 
And that's just not the approach anymore. And social media is just turned into uh, a hate filled place. And so I, if you're going through it and you've got that social media presence, and I know with these athletes, like it's a huge part of their job, but um, it's, it's knowing whose voices you need to listen to and social media is not the place to do it. I'll, I'll be honest. There was a time, like I, I remember seeing comments about our athletes that were just so painful to look at. And I was like, I was angry. I felt angry for this person. Cause it's like, why are you getting mad at this guy? He, he put his life out, out here to run this event for you guys. And you're sitting here upset because he didn't win or he didn't run fast enough. And you're like, that's a human being. Like, and people don't think that way. They just, professional athletes are just like objects and like these gods to everybody. And they all just want to hurt and pull them down and wreck that, that momentum for them. You're like, dude, why, why do that? Why not just build them up and moment, like, build the passion within it so I, I, I might i might have a different approach there but like there's just i just think listen to the voices that mean the most to you because you know those are the ones that are end up gonna pick you up when you're feeling down or gonna help push you forward when you're slowing up so yeah that's just knowing who who to listen to because all social media is is full of hate <laughs> i think with mental health expectations play a massive role, whether it's the expectations we put on ourselves, I think that's the biggest as you've kind of spoken to, but also the expectations we put on others for you from like a managerial standpoint, how do you work on properly setting the right expectations for your athletes and celebrating what are objectively wins, even if they didn't go as far as they hoped to, because, you know, people know the athletes on the OAC, like they're not messing around. They have massive expectations and goals for themselves. But to an outsider like you, you know, they're still crushing it, even if they don't hit their goal, because reality is they probably are. They probably still ran some crazy time or place. Yeah, I think the, the key is to to celebrate the wins that aren't expected. Um, I winning in general should be celebrated, whether it's, I don't know, the Boston Indoor Valentine, whatever meet or the Olympic Games. Like you should celebrate the winning moments just so that you know it's winning it means something and you don't have to win on the highest level for it to mean something uh and so we, we we do our best to to kind of reach out connect communicate talk to to athletes when when they win uh and like we try to keep our social media updated with like wins across like the, the 200 plus athletes we have on our roster because like you know winning is is what 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 and why we do this so there's it's it's very difficult because if you're not on the if you're not kind of within the running circle or you're not kind of within in the know of how it all works you, your first thought is oh did you win the medal oh did you win like uh, did you, and if if the answer is no but oh i set a national record oh i i was i didn't win but i got bronze or fifth or sixth in the olympics or the world champs the the reaction's going to be oh well I guess that's cool too. You're like, no, no, fifth in the world is unbelievable, unbelievable. Like, so you just you got to make sure that these guys know that the expectation on themselves is going to be higher than what anyone else could put on them, and you got to celebrate where the wins across the board. So whether you win the B invite, you're fifth in the world, whatever it is, like those are those are great wins. You got to celebrate them. Speaking on this track season. Too many wins to mention in one podcast, but off the top of your head, what are some of the the moments you're most proud of that that bring a smile to your face when you think about them? Oh man, there's there's a lot of good moments. Um, I think Alicia starting it off with a 10k record that was really cool to watch. And I I mean I remember 
the, then the 3K record indoors. I was there, I was jumping around for that one. I think the three boys going under 330 in Oslo was was fantastic. Uh, I think the and Ollie getting the bronze medal at World Cross was really fun. Um, and then Yared obviously was is a fit was was a lot of fun just to see him kind of go toe to toe with Jakob. And I think what makes that so fun to me is his personality behind the curtain, like. I'm sure like it's been talked about to a degree, but Yard is the most like laid back, easygoing guy. And oh yeah, all right, I'll go compete. <laughs> and, like you wouldn't you wouldn't guess how competitive he is and, unless you get him in a competitive atmosphere. Like he gets into like Mario Kart and he gets mad when he loses. It doesn't happen often, and nobody that I know has beaten him, but Mario's gotten him <laughs> one time and he will not let it go. So like it's just that's the nature of the game. But there's the guys that like there's there's wins all across the board. I'm like it's and then Helen winning Boston and New York. I just I was bummed I wasn't in Boston, and then I got to see it in New York. And so she's yeah she's that woman's a beast. Um, so there's but yeah they all come back to the gym and we all kind of high five and hug and then it's back to work. So it was funny after Helen won. It was about five ten minutes later, and then the guys were like, "So where are we running? Where's our run? We gotta go run now." And we're like, "Oh man, it's like it's right back on the <laughs> on to the next on to the next." I'm curious from this perspective, you don't have to speak to it if you don't want to, but from uh, even from the perspective of a fan, if you want to disassociate yourself from the company, how funny is it seeing the the clash of personalities between Jakob and uh, Yara? Not clash in the sense of they hate each other, but Jakob, stern face, everyone knows the, the introduction, just like looks like he's ready to kill someone, uh, and he truly is ready to kill the track, versus Yara always throws up the piece, looks like he is about to play Mario Kart. I mean... So chill. I mean, you know the competitive nature is there, but you never guess it, right? So what's it like to see those two characters race and, and battle it out with two completely different sides? Dude, I, I have no doubt uh, that when they step to the line, they are the same competitive person, but it's how they shut off when it's over. And I think Yara has a, this unique innate ability to just be like, ah, well, that was fun. What's next? And then like Yucca, but you can tell he's just like, He's grinding. And I think a lot of it is just because there's been expectation put on him from like a young age all the way up. And he's got all this success like built, going into each and every race he does. And I think, you know, expectation comes with every result. And I, I think it's as high as it's ever been for him. And so I, Yard's enjoying a bit of like the, the easygoing lifestyle. And I, I don't, I, if there's expectation on his shoulders, he does not show it. So, but I, I, I tell you like one, when it gets down to race time, the two are as competitive as they've ever been. And Yard does not like losing and he'll lose, but he can, I think, swallow his pride and process and move quicker, quicker than Jakob can. Let's talk about Helen. You mentioned her winning Boston in New York behind the scenes. What was the decision to bring her on the team specifically where I, w I would say she doesn't really have anyone to train with, but she's dropping Joe Clucker on long run. So she technically does have people to train with. Um, what, what was the thought process behind bringing her on the team and what's it been like to see her absolutely flour flourish? Um, well, we give, I'll give like, Steve DeCoker a lot of credit for that one. He, uh, he brought her to the table uh, early in 2020 and was like, Hey, Helen's contract is up this year. Uh, her agents reached out um, and uh, he reached out because he believes in Dathan's training and thinks it's a good fit for Helen. Uh, obviously, I guess is, there's a business side to all of it. So there's conversations up happening in different places, but I, he was very adamant that if Helen's going to go somewhere, I think Ritz has got the, the talent to really develop that talent. 
and we we said yeah we'd love that we, but we really want her in boulder to be a part of this oac that we're building and like i think she could be the marathon faction to it and she's got this like wisdom and like commanding presence in this sport and we think she could really be this this, this star um i mean a year later you who would have known the whole team was kind of grown into that 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 space but uh yeah we we got her on board and it we kind of say it took some processing to get the 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 visa to come to the u.s and then kind of work through the green card but she's she's been this this, this shining star of this team and like she's a, a really easy person to connect with and fun to kind of hang out with and she has a, a great personality for for everyone on board and i think team culture is the huge the biggest part of it and she just embodies it well and her husband uh, tom is just a perfect example of support and he he and their daughter tanya have been in her corner and helping support her through everything and they show up at the gym together and they're having fun kind of making jokes and bickering and laughing and then like tanya will come in and she'll start making jokes and that. it's like they have this wonderful little family and so i oh yeah and then helen o'beary is like this world-class athlete this goddess on the track and on the roads and but when she uh when she puts the knuckle down she's very serious um and yeah it's impressive to see the, the amount of mileage she puts in and the time she puts in and from the recovery aspect to the running part of it, Helen O'Beary embodies the sport from tip to tail, but she also makes time for her family, which is a really warming piece. People, stories have been floated around about the freaking insane workouts she does. Do you witness any of them? Is it like Ritz calls you and he's like, you won't believe what she just did. What's that experience like with her or just other athletes in general? Yeah, he'll, they're, I mean, with all of his athletes, they, they all have these shining moments in, in their workouts. Um, but yeah, with Helen, it's, uh, it's on another level, like uh, on a different level, just cause it's road, but he'll, uh, he'll come into the gym and he'll be like, look at this. And he'll like throw the phone in my face and I'll be like, mile, mile, it's like five minute, five times, five, <laughs> five minute, five, 10. He's like, look at how fast this is. She's in great shape. And I was like, yeah, it's holy crap. <laughs> or like, he'll send a work, like a workout, uh, like a GPS workout at an average pace and everything until like this group chat we're in and it'll be like oh my god and he'll just rave about it but you can get a sense of like his excitement and then you know the kids on the track he'll do similarly he'll come in and be like okay so yards in great shape watch out he's gonna look fantastic this indoors and like i ritz has an idea as to what each and every one of these athletes will run i think before they do so and i I, right before right before uh pre we were joking about like his yard yards. There's talk of him running a 5k in December and yard doesn't want to run a 5k. He hates running a long distance. So he goes, Ritz, what do I have to do to not run this 5k in December? And he's like, you, you, you got to run under 345 and you, you got to beat Jakob. And, and I like sat there, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like under 345. Like if you'd asked me to do that, like whatever, like seven years ago, I would have just been like, Oh my God no freaking way and yeah and yards like okay all right i'll do it <laughs> and he, i i genuinely believe that is like the sole motivator bet- behind what his entire race was about <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing uh, a piece i'm curious to hear about do you have any role uh, everyone and their mother and ncaa has signed with on for an nil deal it feels like do you have any role in that uh and if not what's your outside perspective on it uh i don't uh that's that's kevin quadrosi he's a colleague of mine who handles a lot of the nil and partnerships um but uh it's it's a it's an interesting perspective i think it, this is kind of been it's it, it's naturally occurring i think the ncaa put up a, a wall against it and with the wall down uh it's now kind of a turf war and 
brands are starting to kind of invest early and get a sense, okay, this is potential partnership down the line. We need to kind of start building that partnership early. And you're seeing it even go further back where, you know, you got some high schoolers that are like partnering with like USATF and Nike to kind of start working on their kind of career. And I guess it's getting, I, I think it's kind of, it's hard because, you know, I understand it's part of the industry, but it's also like, when does the kid in, kind of enjoy the sport for what it is and not get the pressures of the business side of it creeping in? And I, I just, I loved racing for racing. I love the training elements. I love all this fun stuff with my teammates. I felt no kind of tension about oh, who's going to get the NIL deal and money and product and getting product for my teammates and none of that stuff. It was all just kind of the fun and joys of what you were doing until you get to the professional level after college. Then it's like, okay, you're an adult now. Business is part of it. You know, you're gonna have to start growing into that. But now like you're talking about kids who are like you know, 12, 13, 14, I just, I just hope that the, those pressures aren't felt and they, they can still enjoy the sport for, for what it is. So that's, that's my only concern, but otherwise I understand why we do it and what the, the, the whole genesis behind it is, which is, you know, if I was in that high school age, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. I want all this stuff. <laughs> I, as a, as a soon to be parent, I'm like, I hope there's no pressure involved and I hope you can still enjoy it. Andy, always a privilege uh, and an honor speaking with you. For the sake of time, we will wrap up version two with you, which was equally as enjoyable as version one. Uh, no Gordon Ramsay question for you because we, we covered that one first time around, but it's crazy, man. It feels like once you hit November, it's Christmas all over, you know, everything shifts. So I guess the, the light question that, I, that I'm curious to get your opinion on before we close out, when can a person start listening to Christmas music. When is it socially acceptable? Uh, what is it? Uh, the day after Thanksgiving. I think that's, that's my, my rule. in Christmas, Christmas music can happen. Thanksgiving dead on. All right. And then the, then the, the, all the, all the Christmas decorations go up the day after. Like that's, that's how I think it works. And then you can kind of build into Thanksgiving around all oh, the holidays. It's going to be great. And then Thanksgiving comes around. You can hear the jingle, the jingle bells and Oh, I can't wait for Christmas. The next day, Christmas decorations go everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, those, that's my, my kind of rule of thumb, but uh, I know my wife, she loves the holidays. I think the, the pumpkins and everything was kind of put up about two weeks before Halloween. So, but such is life. Andy, always a privilege. Thank you for sharing wisdom and sharing some tidbits of uh, more of your story. I feel like we keep unpacking more and more, which is always a privilege. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Don. Thanks for having me on here, man. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at the running effect. I hope you're running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.